The story of Jacob and Esau is perhaps the most interesting story in the entire Old Testament. In fact, if anyone ever tells you that they have found the Bible to be boring, then I urge you to tell them to read chapters 25 to 33 of Genesis. Or if you've ever found the Bible to be a little boring, read chapters 25 to 33. You, I assure you, it's not boring. To understand today's story of Jacob wrestling with the mysterious man until daybreak at the bank of the river, I need to spend some time telling you what happened before leading up to this nocturnal wrestling match. Isaac, the famous Isaac, the son of Abraham, marries Rebekah. Rebekah gives birth to twins. The first boy comes out red and hairy, and they name him Esau, or Esau, as it is pronounced in Hebrew, which means, yes, red and hairy. The next boy grabs the heel of Esau and is named Jacob, or Yaakov in Hebrew, which means he takes by the heel or he supplants, he supersedes, he replaces. And before the birth, the Lord told Rebekah, two nations are in your womb and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other and the elder shall serve the younger. So already we see big trouble coming. And quickly we see the perfect storm of what is now called a dysfunctional family. Isaac prefers Esau because Esau is a hunter. He's an outdoorsman and he brings him wild game to eat, which he is so fond of. And Rebekah, she prefers Jacob because he likes to stay around the tents with her and help her cook. Esau's the oldest, he came out first, and the oldest had special privileges. They received a greater inheritance. It wasn't fair, but it's the way it was back then. Jacob, it turns out, is conniving. He's an opportunist. He's really a very poor role model. He's a cheat. He's a scoundrel. And yet, God uses him and blesses him and does not forsake him. So one day, Esau comes in from the hunt, and he's so hungry. And Jacob has this big pot of lentils ready. And Esau pleads with Jacob. It says in the King James Version, Feed me, I pray thee, that same red pottage, which by the time it gets to the modern translations becomes, Give me some of that red stuff. And Jacob says, Only if you give me your birthright your privileges as the oldest son. Esau is so desperately hungry that he foolishly relinquishes his oldest son benefits for a bowl of soup. Well, time goes on, and Father Isaac is dying, and Father Isaac is ready to give Esau, his oldest, his final deathbed blessing. Transferring by a blessing or a prayer his status, his power, his spirit, his, his wealth to his oldest son. And Isaac asks Esau first to go hunt up some wild game for him, so perhaps a deer or some rabbits or quail, and then barbecue them for him like he likes them, and then come into his tent with this food, and Esau will receive the blessing.
But Rebecca overhears this and persuades Jacob to impersonate Esau. Remember, Esau is red and hairy, and Jacob, that I didn't tell you, has very smooth skin. So Rebekah puts goatskin on Jacob's hands and neck and dresses Jacob in Esau's clothes, and she prepares the savory meat and leads Jacob into the tent. Isaac is suspicious. Come near that I may feel you, my son, to know really whether you are my son Esau or not. So Jacob went up to his father Isaac, who felt him, and he said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And finally, smelling the clothes of Esau, Jacob is wearing, he, he's convinced, and he gives Jacob his blessing. Esau returns from the hunt and finds out what has happened. But it's too late, and in one of the saddest, most heartbreaking scenes in the Bible, Esau mo moans to his father, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Have you only one blessing, father? Bless me also, father. And the Bible says that Esau lifted up his voice and wept. But there was no other blessing. Esau promises to kill his brother. He is, of course, furious. And Rebekah quickly arranges for Jacob to escape and go to live with her brother Laban and his people, where he then goes to marry Leah and Rachel. Sadly, I've got to skip some good parts. I must fast forward. But don't forget, don't deprive yourselves of these wonderful chapters 25 to 33. Time has passed. Jacob has prospered. He now has two wives, Leah and, Re and Rachel. He has many cattle, sheep, and goats, and servants. He's a very wealthy man, but he remains also a con man, a cheater, a rascal. And now the story starts sounding like a classic Western. Jacob is moving with his possessions across the wilderness. Many of these possessions he has more or less stolen from Laban, but you'll have to read it to find out how he did that. Word comes to him that Esau is approaching, and Esau is not alone. Is it a Calvary? Is it a posse? Is it a tribe of Indians? <laughs> no, this is the Old Testament. This is not the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is not the high plains drifter or a fistful of dollars, and it is not Clint Eastwood. It is Esau. Esau, the red, hairy, strong, probably angry and vindictive, out for revenge brother Esau. And guess what? He has 400 men with him. Whew. Jacob, he's terrified. He divides his huge family and all of his animals into subgroups. He sends them all across the river, thinking they'll be safer. And there, alone on the riverbank, he wrestles with a man until daybreak. They wrestle and wrestle and wrestle all through the night, but it is a standstill. The man wrestling Jacob cannot prevail, so he punches Jacob's hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint. 
The man is tired, he's had enough, and he says, let me go for the day is breaking. And Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The blessings, as we see from these chapters, obviously very, very important in those times. And I want to say, Jacob, you've got to be kidding. Another blessing? How greedy can you be for these blessings? You already swindled your eldest son privileges and your father's final blessing from your brother Esau. You now have two wives, many servants, thousands of animals, and you think you need another blessing. And by golly, he gets it. The man blesses him, and he says, You shall no longer be called Jacob, Yaakov, the supplanter, the stealer of other men's treasures. You shall now be called Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Israel, the one who strives with God. Jacob wants to know the man's name, and the man wouldn't tell him. But Jacob calls the place Penul, the face of God. For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. And the Bible story tells us that Jacob left limping because of his hip, and verse 32 adds, To this day the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket, because he struck Jacob on the hip socket of the thigh muscle. You can imagine there is much speculation as to who Jacob's wrestling partner was. The Bible says a man, right? A man wrestled with him. But then the man tells Jacob that he has wrestled with God and man. Maybe that just means that Jacob's life in general has been a wrestling with God and humans, as in some ways all of our lives have been. Some commentators say it was an angel. Some say it was Esau's angel. Some say even that it was Esau. I'm not sure it matters. Maybe what matters is that Jacob calls the place Penul, the face of God. So, how do, you make a, how do you make a sermon out of this story? Well, one of the ways that preachers through the years have made a sermon out of this story is to focus on the limping of Jacob. Jacob wrestles with God and he is wounded. He is wounded. He leaves this wrestling with a limp, but he also leaves with a blessing. In fact, his name is changed from Yaakov to Israel. And it occurs to me that to be human is to be both strangely wounded and blessed. And think about that. Aren't we all, to some extent, strangely wounded and blessed? Fred Rogers of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, great example of this. As a child, he was chubby and he was called Fat Freddy. And this was very, very hard on him. And he would go into his room alone and cry 
But that wound of his helped him create that marvelous TV show that ran for over 30 years and was really focused on helping children deal with their feelings in positive ways. And if you have seen that recent film with Tom Hanks, The Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, you have enjoyed seeing how they wove into that story the wounded, broken Lloyd Vogel, estranged from his father, Jerry, and how he finds healing through Mr. Rogers' help. It also occurs to me, as I was preparing this sermon for you today, that often what makes us special, what really makes us sometimes our unique or what gives us our greatest gift is how we recover from our wounds. We all have wounds. We all have these limps. We all have these difficult things that have happened to us, that have, that have hurt us, that have changed us, that have wounded us, but often that have broken us. But somehow, how we recover from that brokenness, what we have learned from that brokenness, is what makes us deep and has something really important to give. I, I love that message. I believe in that message. It's certainly been true in my own life. But I don't think it fits for Jacob, for Yaakov, the supplanter. But I do think it fits for Esau. So let me finish the story. Because oddly, there is no other mention in the Bible about Jacob's limp. So maybe the next day, hey, his hip just snapped into place and he all of a sudden felt better again. I always thought of it as this lifetime wound, but maybe it wasn't. There is no evidence either in any of the chapters that come after this that lead us to believe that Jacob actually learned anything or was humbled by this wrestling match, this changing of his name from the supplanter, the stealer, to the one who strives with God. So now we come to the last chapter of these amazing nine chapters that I'm urging you to read for like the fourth time now in this sermon. And this is the final chapter 33. This is a great ending. So Jacob, he's terrified. He's certain that his death is near. Esau, he's got 400 men with him. He's coming to get him, right? But he runs to his brother and he falls on his neck and he kisses him. He behaves just like the father in the prodigal son. He has forgiven his brother Jacob. He is just so glad to see him. He still amazingly hope beyond hope. He loves him. But Jacob, ah, Jacob, he remains cautious. He insists that Esau accept all these gifts of servant and animals. Esau doesn't want them. Esau is actually a wealthy man himself. He's got everything he needs. He came to see his brother. He came to kiss his brother, to hug his brother. He did not come to receive reparations. 
And Esau, it breaks your heart. He says so happily, let us journey on our way, brother, and I will walk alongside you. And Jacob, he finds a way to get, a, to get rid of him. No, he says, we're too tired to keep up your pace. You go ahead and we'll meet up the road. But as soon as he gets a chance, he goes a different direction and doesn't meet up with him on the road, perhaps never to see his brother again. Well, I'm sure it's obvious by now that I'm taking sides on this. I really don't like Jacob. But Esau, now that's a man that I would like to spend some time with. He's a man that took a lick, licking and kept on ticking. He was tough, he was resilient, and yet he was gracious and he was forgiving. He, was, he had every reason in the world to be hurt, to be wounded, to be vindictive, to be vengeful. He shows up happy, cheerful, ready to love his brother, overcome the past, conquering his woundedness, and Jacob just gets rid of him. As if he's thinking, I was lucky this time, now let's just hightail it out of here in case he changes his mind. One imagines Jacob is afraid that Esau will eventually bring up Jacob's sins or say something like, brother, you hurt me very deeply, but over time I have found a way to forgive you, and all that matters now is that we are together. You are my brother. I love you. I want to spend time with you. And I can only imagine how hurt that must have been for Esau to have realized that Jacob didn't want to be with him. He didn't want to see him. He was not comfortable with him. He did not love him as Esau had come to love Jacob. And so was this yet another wound for Esau to heal from? The cold-hearted rejection? Or was Esau somehow by the grace of God able to say, oh well, I tried, but he's still a jerk. <laughs> Good riddance. And you know what? Esau really did try really hard. Can't we, we can all imagine, we can all sympathize with Esau, can't we? We can imagine what spiritual strength it must have taken for him to move from ready to kill his brother to ready to hug him and kiss him and tell him how glad he was to see him again. So maybe in the end, this story, this great story, is a story about a missed opportunity. Jacob's grand missed opportunity to confess his sins, to repent, to change his life, his improbable opportunity against all odds to have a relationship with his brother again, to make for peace. And we too, sometimes, we have these opportunities, don't we? And sometimes we don't have the courage. We don't have the courage to admit that we were wrong, the courage to look someone in the eye and say, I did you wrong. What I did was mean and selfish and cowardly, and I know I hurt you very badly, and I am very sorry. That's the kind of honest confession that 
the father Jerry gives to his son Lloyd in that Mr. Rogers movie. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to be honest. It's hard to be direct like that. It's painful. It's scary. It's humiliating. But it's so important. It's one of the finest, grandest things we can do as human beings. It takes great strength and courage and character. So I end giving you this charge, or this, this blessing. May we learn to forgive like Esau, and may we learn to confess and repent as Jacob did not. Amen.